look at all these people, I think I'd like to go with Miss Sam. Good morning, Central. I'm glad you're all here today. My name is Jim Rowan, and I get to serve as the missions pastor and church business administrator here at the church. This is my one time a year to speak, so I need to give you a missions update of what we've been doing this year. Even uh, through the pandemic, we've been pretty busy. Before I give you facts and figures, there are a few things about missions that really bother me. And one of them, and you guys have seen this, is the uh, flies in the eyes and little babies with the distended bellies. Please send money now. You know, so many organizations are, are, are appealing like to the least common denominator. They're trying to get our attention by tugging on our heartstrings, making us feel guilty instead of celebrating what is being done throughout the world. The other one, the one that really bothers, and we've discussed this in my house, is if you send an organization a gift for them to use for ministry, and then you start getting these color brochures in the mail every week, it seems like every day. Um, are you using my donation for fundraising, or are you using my donations to do what you told me you were going to do? And uh, those, again, just really upset me. I think that we should celebrate the accomplishments, that we should celebrate our involvement, Central's involvement in missions. So let me just give you a little bit of a state of the missions, and I have it written down so I, I don't get any of these numbers wrong. Actually, I've been doing missions here at Central for about 20 years, a little longer. And during that time, we've gone through about um, $4.5 million dollars that's come in through your generous giving, a little more than a couple hundred thousand a year. Serious money, and we've, we've had pretty good impact throughout the world. This year, your generous giving has helped us to partner with 39 different ministries, I mean missionaries in 17 different ministries. You've invested in 36 foreign works and 19 domestic works. And this morning in our ABF hour, we had six um, missionaries or ministry leaders to share in the different classes. Not every class got somebody, and I actually had two people back out over COVID, believe it or not. Um, so that's still going around. Be careful, y'all. And uh, But you got to hear from some local people and how you can be involved. You know, you don't have to cross the sea to participate in missions. All you got to do is see the cross. There are people here locally that can use your time and your talents. They're not even asking for your treasure. They don't, well, take your money. Don't get me wrong, but that's not what they're pursuing. They need your time and they need your talents to move their ministry forward. This year, you've invested throughout the world in Mexico, Honduras, South Africa, Jordan, Lebanon, Ireland, Australia, Kenya, Haiti, the Philippines, and even in North Korea. Internationally, we've helped to support hospitals, orphans, orphanages, refugees, refugee centers, refugee camps, and churches. We've actually sent Ukrainian Bibles to new believers in crisis. We've helped provide food and medical assistance to people in active war zones. Our missions team, and that's myself, George Lee, Vicki Alessi, Kimberly Sanchez, 
Libby Seaton and Chuck Bridge, we, we've watched and we, and we track what people are doing. It's imperative that people are working in ministry and not cruising. And I, I'm, I don't want to get into too many stories. I did catch a guy one time in Senegal, in Dakar, who was receiving gifts from us and many other churches in America. And, and I had a layover and I went into Dakar to try to find him and his orphanage and his church, and, and it didn't exist. He was, he was kind of fleecing the flock, living quite well. He had a real nice house. And um, so we check, we follow up, we hold people accountable uh, to what they do with the funds that you provide. We've begun to send short-team mission out again. It's been a couple of years, and our first trip is going in October for adults to um, the Camino de Santiago outside of Lugo in uh, Galicia, Spain. The Camino is a, is a pilgrimage, a path, a walkway that people have been doing for over 700 years. Back in the, back in the knights in shining armor days, people used to do the Camino to repent of sin and to seek spiritual death. And people are still doing it today. People are walking 300 miles or 500 miles over the course of a month or two. And at the La Fuente de Peregrino, the Fountain of the Pilgrims, um, we give out food, we give out water, snacks, make those available to people. They stop. And we talk to them, why are you walking 500 miles? That seems crazy. And that opens a spiritual conversation. And they tell us what they're seeking. And we can answer back about the hope we found in Jesus. And I've never been anywhere in my life where so many people are receptive to hearing the gospel. I mean, they've walked all this way just to get some spiritual depth. And God places teams from our church there to answer their questions. We're still looking into other trips for this fall, next winter, next spring. And as a missions team, we don't think we're the end-all, be-all in missions. And so we're really open to hearing from you. If God has placed a person or a, or a ministry <clears throat> or even a location on your heart, let us know. You can email me at jim at central rr.com. It's pretty easy. And let me know, and we'll pursue that. I know people in a lot of places, and chances are we can get you or someone to where God may be leading you. One of my greatest joys in missions actually has been able to take my kids uh, in their teenage years into third world countries. Here in America, we can get so hung up on you have iPhone 12 or iPhone 13. Is that a 12 Pro? Is that SEL or SL? Is that a Mercedes 300 or a 450? I mean, we get caught up in all this American-type consumerism stuff. And entering into a third-world country really takes a whole bunch of that away. It makes me more grateful for the blessings I have in my life, and I think it really opened up my children's eyes to what the real world is all about. Again, we can get so hung up. Our priorities can get just messed up big time. 
Anyway, we continue to gift your tithes and your offerings into the foreign mission field, and I sent out about 40 requests for thank yous and got, I don't know, 30 back. But they put together a little brief clip to show you some of the people that said thank you. Uh, we are Grigores from Romania. I'm Rio. I'm Dini. And I'm Estera. And we want to thank you for being for so many years faithful in your giving and support and prayer. For being not behind us, but right next to us and with us in all the joys and all the troubles. Thank you very much, Central Family. Thank you. God bless you. Hello, Central Round Rock. Thank you for your partnership over the years and what God is doing in India by transforming the lives of children rescued from slavery and sex trafficking. With your help, over the years, we've rescued over 40,000 children, giving them a second chance at life. Thank you, Central. Hey, Central Baptist, we're Todd and Krista Blackhurst. And we live in Taichung, Taiwan. And we just want to say thank you so much for your faithful support. We appreciate you. Thank you. From the hearts of the staff, children and families of Texas Baptist Children's Home, I want to say thank you for all of your love and prayers, your time, your talent, your treasure that you have shared so generously with us. Hi, I'm Susan Huggins in Oaxaca, Mexico with Wycliffe Bible Translators. We're producing materials in written and audio form for a people group called the Mistecs, which are located in Southern Mexico. I want to take this opportunity to thank Central Baptist for supporting me all these years. Thank you. Gracias. Hello, Central Baptist. We're David and Carlene Heath, serving with Wycliffe Bible Translators in Nigeria, serving the 300 plus languages. We want to thank you for your support. Hello, Central. This is Jeff Lark, and I am on staff with Crew in Austin. And I wanted to just thank you for your partnership with me in the gospel. Hello, Central Baptist Church family. Thank you so much for your support for my ministry with Mission One in equipping the global church. Hi, Central. I'm Sarah with Set Free, and I just want to say thank you for supporting our work to end child slavery in India. This is Cricket Mayer from Cape Town, South Africa. Thank you so much for your love, prayers, and your financial support. God bless. Hello, family at Central. Thanks for supporting our ministry to reach students in the world for Christ with the gospel. We appreciate you guys. Thank you, thank friends you, thank at you. Central Baptist for your support. Hello, Central family. Thank you so much for your faithful support over the years. Hello, Central. Thank you for having us at Ichiro. Hey, we're the Jewels, and we serve at Rift Valley Academy in Kijabe, Kenya. We just want to say a tremendous thank you to the Central Baptist family for all of your support and partnering with us in our ministry. Thank you. Thank you. And they mean that. They mean thank you. And I said earlier, I do know a lot of, I know all those people personally. And um, if God should lay something on your heart, let me know. I want to switch gears here. I want to do a three-point sermon. First point was missions. Now I'm going to move into my second point. I want to pray a short prayer if that's okay. It's the one Peter had when he got out of the boat. It was, Lord, help me. Now I'll move in. You're laughing. I'm serious. 
So <clears throat> we all have heard when we were growing up that the Eskimos had 50 words for snow. Do you believe that? It's true. And Mark always has these neat little factoids to introduce into the sermon. So I put on my Googles and got on the interweb and started looking around. And actually in the Scotch language, according to the Scots thesaurus, there are 421 different words for snow. Some of my favorite were snaw, S-N-A-W, that means snow. My very favorite was sneasel. S-N-E-E-S-L, sneasel, means it's starting to snow rain mix. I love that word. can hardly wait for this winter when we have a good sneasel. And then there was skelf, and skelf is a very large snowflake. So where am I going with this? Linguists and anthropologists, um, people would tell us that we develop a language based on what's important to us. And whereas snow is important in northern parts of the world, they have a lot of words to describe different types, different things. What's interesting is that in the ancient languages, there are many words for you, but in English, we have one. We have you singular, we have you plural, that's it, we have you. Because we're American, we're independent. Hey, happy Independence Day, by the way. If you have extra burgers, you can call me. I'm a mobile unit. Um, Alan said he'll come too if you have plenty extra. So but anyway, back in World War II, we had millions of Americans that were sailors and soldiers, and, and they, were, they were pressed into conformity. They, they wore the same clothes. They ate the same food. They marched in step, and we set the world free. That was, that was the goal. But after the war, people truly began to seek, seek excuse me, some individuality, some independence. They wanted to be me. They wanted to be different than, than everyone else. They wanted not to be conformed into this big chunk of people. And the evangelists, if you remember last week, Mark talked about the three big evangelists in the 40s and 50s. They really keyed in on this, and they began to preach a very independent salvation. Now, it's true, we all make a personal decision to walk with Christ, but they really hammered in on independence, and our culture, our mindset has been shaped to accept this image, that it's all about independence, but it wasn't in the early church. In the early church, it was very familial, was of families. If you go back into the Old Testament, it was Abraham and his family. They were a tribe. Isaac and his family. Jacob and his family. They were, they were a group of people. So I wanted to get to Acts. It's a Baptist church. We have to use the Bible, right? <clears throat> Acts 24 says, well, the story that here is Peter has been asked to go speak to a Gentile a non-Jewish person. And Peter, loving Christ follower, said, uh-uh, this is my translation, by the way. And God said, oh yeah, here comes this little blanket down with some tasty scorpions and spiders. And Peter said, uh-uh, second time, uh-uh, ain't happening. Third time, Peter said, okay, I'll go. 
and Acts 10.24, it says, And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had to call together his relatives and close friends. So Peter's going to preach and tell these people, this guy, Cornelius, about Jesus, but Cornelius has filled up his house with his family and with his close friends. And Peter does. He gives a great little short um, gospel there in Acts. Another good one is in uh, chapter 6. Stephen, it's the whole Bible in like one chapter. But in verse 47, it says, then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. It's, it's not an individual. There's a plurality there. It's a group of people who have received the Spirit. It's a group of people who are being baptized, not an individual. Also in Acts in chapter 16, we have Paul and Silas and Philippi, and they've been arrested, and they're chained, and you probably know the story. They're singing at midnight in chains, in jail, and there's an earthquake. And the Philippian, and they get free. And the Philippian jailer says, that's it. I don't have to kill myself. And in Acts 31, verse, uh, Acts 16, verse 31, Paul and Silas speaking, and they said to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Verse 32 and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. It was a group. It was a familial unit. Early Christianity was very communal. Most of the world still is today, except for the United States and Western Europe. Most of the world when we travel, when we go places, most all the world is communal. And when you go into the Middle East or you go to Asia and you start sharing the gospel, the first thing you'll hear is, well, I need to go check with my parents. I need to check with my brother. Because we're not going to do anything independently out of community. It's all going to be done in community. What does this mean? You know, we say here at Central all the time, welcome home, we're community, we're family. But the truth is, if we were asked to go charge the gates of hell, I'll go with you. I'll take a water pistol if that's all we have. But when we're done, I want to go home and I want to go into my castle and raise my drawbridge, which means put down my garage. And I need some me time. You've never heard that expression before. English has one word for you. But biblically, there were many words for you. So as Westerners, every time we see the word you, we take it to mean me, not us. That's our first instinct. But it's not correct. That's not the way the Bible was written. So to make up for it in our everyday conversation, we've invented slang words. You is singular, y'all is plural, unless you live in Texas. 
Y'all is singular. All y'all is plural. In other parts of the country, they have yous. Yous guys. You guys. Right now, if you're a server, don't say you guys at our table. My wife hates to be called a guy, and it will probably impact your kid. She's pretty sure she's not a guy, and she gets a little bit upset when that happens. But we continually, and I say we, I mean me. Continually we read the Bible and we see you as singular. So I'd like to look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. That verse says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? It's a great verse. We use it all the time. You need to quit smoking. I need to quit overeating. You know, some people have a gland problem, they say, because of their weight. Mine's a hand problem. It's, it's my hand seems to be the problem. And those are good things to say, take care of your body. Those are great things, but it's not really scripturally accurate. In this verse, the your bodies is plural. It's not you, it's all y'all. And the temples is really singular. One temple of the Holy Spirit. See, here today, we don't have 100 or 200 little bitty Holy Spirit temples sitting in this room. There's one temple. One temple in this church. One temple in Round Rock. One temple in the world to God. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we're a part of it. I mean, it's just not me. <laughs> it's all of us. Jesus, they use an expression of building up the temple. Remember, Jesus is the cornerstone. And we're all like bricks in that temple. All in all, it's just a, another brick in the wall. And we're okay with that as long as we have our name inscribed on the brick, you know, in memory of, provided by the Rowland, you know. If we're personalized, we can, we, we can get that. But to be just another one in the whole bunch, that flies in the face of all we, all we know and all we care about. But the truth is, the Spirit, we all come together. So when we want to see the Spirit blaze in our churches, we each have to bring our own little fire, our own little candle we've prepared throughout the week. Then we come together and it can blaze up. And too often some of us are coming in here hoping to receive and walk out with a little bit of flame instead of bringing it to add to the community, to this temple, to the Holy Spirit. Another verse that really <clears throat> hits on the, on the you, and y'all have... Guys have all got this one memorized. Is uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. What a great verse! God has plans. No, it's all plural. You look at this verse that says, "I have plans to prosper you." And not to harm you. 
This is Jeremiah talking. And we'll go to Second uh, Chronicles 33.11. Right after this happened, it says that the Assyrians, the leaders of the Assyrian army, take the king Manassas and put a hook through his nose and bind him in bronze shackles and drag him back to Assyria. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. No, he didn't prosper and he was harmed. It was Remember, all this is coming after Jeremiah said, you're going to be slaves for 70 years. This is about, I plan to prosper you all. All you all as a people, not an individual. But we want to take that and think, ah, for me, this is all for me. But, but it isn't. So my second point on my talk today would be, when you read your Bible and you see the word you, Take it as plural. Take it as plural. It's all y'all. It's going to be wrong. Sometimes it really is you. But that's okay. We, that pendulum has swung so far. We need it to swing back a little bit and come back to center. And if you need, the Holy Spirit can correct you. But start thinking of the you in the scriptures as being plural. And it's not individual or singular most of the time. My third point's the good one. What do you think? <laughs> anyway, I'm teaching a class upstairs. <clears throat> you want to come, y'all are welcome. Not everybody, because you won't fit in the little room, but most of y'all. We do one of them fit in the phone booth deals. Anybody remember that in the 50s? I'm old. Anyway, I'm teaching this class, and we're slowly making our way through Genesis. I think we're in chapter 36 or 37 here in a year and a half. One of the things that keeps sticking out to me is that God loved Israel, right? You all have heard that. Um, for Kings, 1 Kings 10.9, because the Lord loved Israel forever. 2 Chronicles 9.8, because your God loved Israel. God loved Israel. Okay, what's Israel? And Israel comes out of Genesis 32, verse 24. And it says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And then in verse uh, Genesis 32, verse 28, it says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And generally, in most of our English translations, we translate that word Israel as wrestle with God. And yes, literally it's probably strive with God or contend with God. But most of our common translations say wrestle with God. God, I believe God wants people who wrestle with him. If he wanted mind-numbed robots, he could have made mind-numbed robots. God wants people who question. God wants people who search the scripture seeking answers. God wants people who wrestle with him. And too often we, the church, have said, oh no, you need to sit down and be quiet. Don't ask those questions. Sit down and be quiet. You should know the proper answers. I don't believe that's a God thing. 
I think that's a man thing. And I, if you wrestle with God, I would encourage you to use our staff as a resource, whether it's Alan or Ken or there's so many, Mark. I mean, everyone will sit down with you and wrestle with you if something's troubling you in the scriptures or in your walk. I really believe that. I think God loves those who wrestle with him. And, and, and that's pretty literal translation. See, I'm a ragamuffin. I didn't um, grow up in the church. I didn't get saved till I was in my 40s. Never went to summer camp, never went to VBS. Everyone on a mission trip. But God offers to all of us salvation, freedom from our past. God loves those who question. And when I got saved, I questioned. I still question God a lot. I've been known to be out in the field screaming at God, what do you want from me? <clears throat> Just tell me. Just let me know and I'll do it. Let's not play trickery here. But I think God cherishes those that wrestle with him. And not just follow because someone said that's how you're supposed to do it. I'm blessed to be saved. Indeed. And I want to tell you how I got saved. It was in that front building up there when that was the only thing on this property. And I came to a little video thing called Dad the Family Shepherd. April 15th, 1994. Remember it well. And there are people here that were probably there that day. I know they were in the early service. And they went through a whole video deal. And as they got to the end, they did the Roman road. I had no idea what the Roman road was. But the man talking began to spell it out. He said, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you guys have heard that from Mark. Mark says that we're all broken units. What does sin mean? In the Hebrew, sin meant to go astray. So if, if, if there's a field, there's a path across that field. Like in England, they have a, a right-of-way. If you build a fence to keep your sheep in, you gotta, you got to make these stiles so people can cross over top of the fence and cross your field and get out of your field. And if you were driving your sheep across someone's field and they went astray, they went over here and started eating his grass. That's the concept in Hebrew of sin, to do what you're not supposed to do. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 3.23 says, I mean 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And I know you've heard people say, how could your loving God send somebody to hell forever to burn? But God doesn't send anybody. The wages of sin. Wage isn't a gift. Wage is what you have earned. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
in the book of Hebrews that says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. I wrestle with that. Someday I'll be in heaven and I'm going to ask God, what's the deal with the blood? It's kind of gross. It's a little bit hard to communicate in the 21st century here. That's what his word says. That price was paid while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 10.9 it says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, then you will be saved. That's it. You don't have to go through a series of anything. It's not. It's nothing you can do. It's nothing you can perform. There are no acts you have to make. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, then you will be saved. That's a promise. One of my favorite stories, I don't know, it's, is a guy on the cross dies and goes to heaven. What do we call him? The good thief? Is that right? The good thief. Think about that. Um, he dies and he goes to heaven and Peter says... What are you doing here? Well, came to get into heaven. What do you mean you came to get into heaven? You've never been baptized. You never went to church. You didn't do anything. What do you what makes you think you can get into heaven? And he said, The guy in the middle told me I could. The guy in the middle said it was okay. And that's pretty much all that any of us have going for us. The guy in the middle said it was okay. Because he paid the price. The debt has been paid. The blood has been shed. I don't understand it all, but the Bible says it's true. And then the follow-up is Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. You know, when I was a kid... I used to do some things I got in trouble for. Probably not y'all. Y'all good church folk. And I'd ask for forgiveness, and then my mom would say, okay, you're forgiven. And then the next week I'd hear about it again. Well, you already, I, I thought I was forgiven. My sisters beat me up over it. Oh, you're always like that. You always do that. No thought I was forgiven. I asked for forgiveness. Here it's coming back. But God chooses not to remember. God chooses not to hold that against us. And I've broken some of them commandments. Actually, I've broken all ten and got the bonus points for doing it in the same day. But <clears throat> God chooses not to hold that against us. If We will confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead. We can stand here, we can preach for weeks, we can preach for years. That is the good news. That is the gospel. And I also believe that God wants you to wrestle with him. For some reason he seems to like it. He doesn't want you to conform because somebody told you that's how you're supposed to act or that's what you're supposed to do. 
He wants you to wrestle that out, to study his word, to hear from him, to allow his spirit to speak to your heart. May I ask the band to come up.